Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Great to have you with us. We're presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. And our guest on this portion of Kale and Company Live is a senior writer for The Athletic who broke the story of the Houston Astros cheating scandal, Evan Drellick. Evan uh, has a new book out. It just uh, came out uh, just a day or two ago. Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's uh, Brightest Minds Created Sports. How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess uh, of All Time. Evan, welcome to the program, and we should let our uh, audience know that uh, you covered the Astros for the Houston Chronicle from uh, 2013 to uh, 2016. Great to have you with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is it is our pleasure. So I guess the first question is, when did you uh, first discover that there was something not quite right about uh, how the Astros were, were winning baseball games? Yeah, it was in 2018, so 13 months before the story comes out. Uh, the, the story was broken in November of 2019. I, I was actually, at the time I found out, I was a Red Sox beat writer yep. uh, uh, for NBC Sports Boston. And uh, it was in the middle of the ALCS, you know, the, the, the penultimate round of the playoffs. And I coincidentally was in Houston at the time, and, and I spoke with people on the inside of the Astros uh, who, who knew, who, who had lived it. And... You know, I knew it was a major story, but I also knew that because it was a major story, uh, you know, I'd need uh, as much corroboration as I could get. And uh, the path to get there was, was tough. I actually ended up getting fired um, in February of 19, and so I was unemployed for a bit. And I had uh, really the, the entirety of the story sitting in my notebook. And then I, I got to The Athletic and paired up with a guy named Ken Rosenthal, who's really the best baseball reporter around. It, People might know him anytime you watch one of those Fox National games. He's the sideline reporter. Yeah. Where's the bow tie? Love the bow ties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so you know, we got together and um, we finished it off. And uh, you know, it, it, so it was 13 months. It was a difficult investigation, but uh, yeah, the, the, I, I thinking back to that period where you know I, I knew what was going on, but uh, hadn't gotten the story quite done yet. Uh, it was a tough period. Yeah, and and you had all that information, and uh, you know, uh, did you tell anybody? I mean, I know you know you shared it with Ken Rosenthal, obviously, but uh, did, did you did you tell anybody? You know, those Astros, they're they're winning because they're cheating. I mean, uh, it must have been uh, really pent up inside you. Yeah, um, you know, I actually went to Major League Baseball not to be. A tipster, that's not a reporter's job, but right. one of the angles I was trying to explore was, well, if MLB is investigating this or on this, you know, that itself can be a story. ML, you know, you can imagine a headline, MLB investigating Astros for XYZ, um, but they, they weren't. Uh, it, you know, it, it took the story coming out to push MLB uh, to do the full-fledged investigation that they ended up doing. And, uh, you know, a couple of uh, colleagues and friends were, were aware of uh, what I knew. I think it's even possible if somebody were to dig back through, I, I, I was on at the time, 
uh, when I had gotten fired, I was on WEI. Mm-hmm. I think I probably a couple points made a made an allusion or two to it. But um, yeah, it was it was it was tough, uh, you know, keeping it to a relatively small circle. So who who was the mastermind of the operation? Who who got the ball rolling? Yeah, in general, uh, probably the best way to look at it is that. Uh, Alex Core, the bench coach, current manager of the Red Sox, Carlos Beltran, who was in his final year as a player, uh, were, were really the two driving forces behind it. There were there were staffers uh, who assisted in it, and you know a bunch of other players enjoyed the system. And look, the whole team um, benefited from it, or, or at least believed they were benefiting from it. Not everybody liked it. Uh, you know, it's an interesting question. How do you assign the blame for a team-wide cheating scheme? Is it uh, the people who kind of originated? Is it uh, those who use it? Is it what do you say about those who stood by and didn't stop it, uh, even if they didn't use it that much? So, um, but yeah, if the question is how did it begin, uh, Cor and Beltron were were really the two powers behind it. Those were the guys uh, involved in the operation. What, what about the manager, AJ Hinch? Uh, was he? I mean, obviously he, he became well aware of it, but was he always on board with it? Uh, look, AJ uh, Hinch absolutely uh, received blame for not putting a stop to it. There were a couple times. Uh, part of the the scheme was you had a camera in center field, and that camera uh, gave a feed to a television monitor that was held uh, hung on the wall right behind the dugout in, in the tunnel area. Uh, and a couple times, uh, Hinch uh, <laughs> basically damaged the screen. And I don't know if destroyed is, is the proper word. But what he never did was he never you know, gave a demonstrative team-wide edict that we are not doing this anymore. It is over. Um, you know, and, and it was in some ways political for him. He didn't, the team was winning. He didn't want to upset uh, portions of his clubhouse. And uh, it was a fight he basically didn't want to take on. And it, it dearly, dearly cost him. Yeah, uh, no, no doubt about it. Now, you, you cover the Astros, as, as we mentioned, from 2013 to 16. Was any of this uh, surprising to you? The Astros were uh, pretty well known for their pitchers using that, uh, that sticky stuff to make the pitchers slide and dip in unusual ways. So was this a, a shocker to you? I think on first blush, I mean, you know, the discovery that a, a championship team had brazenly cheated is always going to be shocking, but I, but I think what you know at, at a high level, what the book establishes is that the culture that was in Houston, as created by the owner, as created by the general manager and front office, uh, it, it is at the end of the day no surprise that the Astros you know, would be a team to cheat. And, and, and I, I, I say in the book, uh, you know, I don't know that the Astros were the most likely team to start cheating. But I do think they were the the most likely team to be unable to stop cheating. Uh, they, their their environment, their management culture, uh, relationships were strained. Um, it, it was not, despite all the winning they were doing, the operation of the team behind the scenes was really kind of a mess and very bottom line driven. It was about wins and profits, and so it was, it's not as though they, they necessarily set out to be villains. Uh, but they were really only focused on a, on a couple things, and what did them in was what they didn't focus on. Uh, you know, things like compliance, things like uh, 
taking care of their people and treating them well. Uh, it was always about how can we be better? How can we win more baseball games? How can we make more money? And it, you know, that's, that's the kind of environment that, that can create, you know, what, a, what in an outside setting is really corrupt. We must say that other teams were investigated uh, as well, uh, you know, for cheating, including the Red Sox and the Dodgers, but uh, they didn't go quite as far as this one. Correct. The other teams have been found to have been uh, using electronic sign stealing. Uh, the, the difference with the Astros is that, in general, people in baseball consider it to be what the Astros are doing a more severe crime. Uh, other teams were using their video room, which MLB sanctioned. These are video rooms that MLB uh, had every team create right. kind of foolishly because they didn't think about, well, gee, what could, uh, what could baseball players who are hyper-competitive do if, if they have uh, <laughs> access to this kind of stuff? So the video rooms would decode the signs. The, the information would go out to a runner on second base. And you know, for all of time in baseball, if you're a runner on second base and you use your eyes to crack the catcher's code, that's acceptable, right? It's, it's, it's the use of electronics that become uh, a, a major problem and, and separator. Uh, so that's what teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox were doing and the Astros on the road. But at home, the Astros didn't even need a runner on base. The whole thing was operating off the field. And, you know, sports are supposed to be a competition of what's going on on the field. It, 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 uh, it, I think in general, you can argue that any cheating is cheating no matter what the severity is, but I, I think in general people believe, and I believe, that what the Astros were doing was, was uh, you know, a crime of a different level. Who, who made the, the biggest mistakes uh, during the investigation of, of this scandal? Well, you know, Major League Baseball is, is culpable uh, for allowing this environment to grow generally. Uh, you know, electronic science dealing, even in that lesser form, was spreading uh, for a couple of years. You know, fans are certainly, at least some fans, are, are not happy that uh, Astros players were not punished. Uh, directly, you know, certainly the, the rep, they take a, a big reputational hit. They get booed everywhere they go, uh, but there was no suspension for them. And the reason for that is it's kind of a, a technical labor law issue where you know the players are represented by a union. You have to give notice of how you're going to punish something. And so if the commissioner had tried to punish, uh, probably those punishments get overturned or vacated. So the mistake was really that MLB didn't see this coming and didn't see. Uh, that you know that they should have gotten ahead of it with the players' union and established, hey, we're going to punish this X Y Z way. Uh, you can negotiate with us over this, uh, or, or you know, we'll, we'll issue an edict. But uh, instead, MLB has said, look, we're going to punish the front office, the manager, and the GM. Uh, that uh, created a lot of problems. Evan Drellick is our guest. Evan, uh, stay with us for a couple of minutes. We have to take a quick break. The uh, book just out, Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. Very intriguing book. Uh, takes us uh, behind the scenes of this uh, organization, the investigation, and it's uh, just terrific if you're a baseball fan, or even if you're not, for that matter. Kale and Company Live, presented by Northeast Delta Dental, and we'll be back with uh, Evan Drellick for a few more minutes. Right after these words, Kale and Company continues right here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Stay with us. Kale and Company Live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. 
Evan Drellick is with us, author of the brand new book, Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. And we found out in the first segment that the masterminds behind this were then bench coach, now Red Sox manager Alex Cora, and veteran player Carlos Beltran, who got a job, actually, as manager of the Mets, uh, but uh, ne- never managed a game with the Mets as a result uh, of this scandal. That's right. Uh, he was one of three managers who lost their job right, uh, right after, after the scandal comes out. It was, uh, you know, Cora gets let go in Boston, uh, Hinch gets let go in Houston, and uh, Beltran gets let go by the Mets, who, you know, as you say, they, they just rehired him as, as a special assistant. So he's, he's part of their you know, front office now. Yep, uh, that he is. So many aspects uh, to this story. It's hard to cover in a short amount of time. But uh, tell us about McKinsey and Company's engagement uh, with the team. Yeah, so the the general manager of the team, Jeff Luno, uh, had been a McKinsey consultant. And, you know, certainly uh, he operated and and still maintained something of a uh, uh, consultant's mindset. And, And, Look, he 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 was very savvy and, and and did a lot of things that were smart in terms of how to build a baseball roster. But in the middle of 2017, so the, this championship season with the cheating uh, is an unfolding. He brings in McKinsey not to evaluate the business side, you know, the things that they're they're known for. You know, it wasn't to look at ticket sales or or anything about their operation, except for baseball operations. It was to evaluate. Uh, what they were doing in scouting, what they were doing, uh, what even the moves manager A.J. Hinch was making in-game. And there was this big question about how do the Astros keep innovating? Uh, there were all these new data streams coming into the sport, and uh, there was internal fighting about uh, how to use them and whether they were reliable. And, you know, there's a quote in the book from an Astros executive who says, I, I think the McKinsey report is, is what ends up leading to the destruction of the Astros front office. It, it only uh, bred further discontent and uh, distrust inside the front office. And, you know, what you see after the Astros win the World Series, a year later, some key people are already departing. Um, so it, it, it strikes me as an example of how much turmoil is going on behind the scenes, even as this team is winning these games, that people just don't see. It, 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 you know, we, we think a winning team, everything's great, but uh, it really wasn't. Is it still a, a somewhat, I, I know they're coming off a World Series championship, which most baseball fans despised, uh, but is it still dysfunctional? I mean, we saw after the, the World Series, uh, soon thereafter, their their general manager, James Click, was fired by the owner, Jim, Cra- uh, Jim Crane. Is it still dysfunctional in Houston? Yeah, letting your general manager go six days after uh, uh, his team wins the World Series, it raises an eyebrow, doesn't it? Uh, it, it, it? I don't think there's any way around that. And, you know, in the book, we, we, we learn about Crane and his history, and it is his uh, operating style. He is ruthless. Uh, if he thinks that somebody needs to be replaced, he will, he will do it at the drop of a dime. Cleaned house in Houston uh, when he first got there. As, as far as today, you know, I, I think the lesson of, of the book and the reporting is that um, – until you really get under the hood, it's hard to say. Um, you know, have the, have the Astros fixed their culture issues at this point? Um, I, I don't have evidence that they have. 
Uh, I don't have evidence necessarily that they haven't uh, made some, you know, positive adjustments. It, it, it would take a real um, new investigation, frankly, to kind of understand what's actually going on inside of there right now. But firing a GM six days after a World Series, yeah, that raises your eyebrow. <laughs> it is It is very bizarre, no question about it. The, the name of the book is Winning Fixes Everything. Uh, does it? <laughs> well, I want readers to think about that for themselves. Yeah. Um, I, I Certainly, I chose the title on the, on the suggestion that, uh, no, it really doesn't um, in some cases. And, and I, I think when you think of an example of that, you know, what, what team is, is more an example of that than the 2017 Astros? Well, they won. And yet something, uh, I think, in the minds of many, supersedes the fact that they won. It, it, it's an example of the means uh, actually being more important in people's minds uh, than the end. And, uh, and that's pretty rare in sports, but I think it's a question for people to ponder because it's, it's such a cliche. Oh, you know, everything will be fine when we win. Will it? Yeah. Does how you win matter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, are, are the Astros, in, in your opinion, still the most hated franchise in professional sports? Um, well, certainly in baseball, uh, I think that's fair to say. I mean, you know, there's kind of an irony to it a little bit, where you 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 have a narrative now. You you have a uh, a team, a franchise that is considered to be villains. And, you know, frankly, as far as, like, drama of sports go, that's not the worst thing. You know, it, it might make you too – you might get more eyeballs watching the Astros because, oh, those guys, man, they're no good. Uh, you know, it, people might have a little bit more intrigue when the Astros are, are playing, uh, which, is, you know, it's kind of a perverse um, aftershock of the scandal. You know, I think most people were upset, baseball fans uh, – anyway, about the fact that there wasn't more punishment for the, the players uh, in particular. I mean, many felt that they should have been stripped of their 2017 uh, World Series championship, and I think that certainly has created a lot of lasting animosity toward uh, toward the Astros. Yeah, you know, the commissioner uh, did consider it. He, he publicly acknowledged that he considered it, uh, and, and he felt for as a matter of precedent he didn't want to set that precedent of, of taking away uh, the title because then, you know, what, where do you draw the line? It is an interesting question. If you were to do that, you know, um, what does that mean for the future if you, if you arrive at these points? Um, and, and I, you know, I, I do kind of agree that uh, even though they, re- they technically retain the trophy, you know, at the end of the day, it, uh, oh, how do people talk about them? How are they remembered? What does history say about them? It's a little bit like the Hall of Fame. Well, if somebody's not in the Hall of Fame, does baseball remember them? Yeah, no, baseball does remember them. It's, it's, are they in your mind? Do you think about them? Do, do you have thoughts about them? Um, so I, I understand it's, it's unsatisfying for, for some people that they retain the, t- the trophy, but um, I, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, no one's forgetting. And when it's all said and done, the Astros uh, remain an odds-on favor to repeat as World Series champions in, in 2023. But uh, since you're a, a former Boston guy, very close to the, the Red Sox scene, uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on uh, just how much the Red Sox are going to be impacted by uh, the loss of Xander Bogarts. Yeah, the, the Red Sox had a weird offseason. Um, you know, the, 
it was hard to figure out from afar what is their plan here. And, and the best I can ascertain is that you know they, they actually might have had a decent plan going into the offseason, but that they weren't aggressive enough. You know, Hein Bloom is a very smart guy, um, but he's also very deliberate and uh, you know move, moves if not cautiously, you know, then um, at a pace. Put it that way. And you know, sometimes you got to kind of be willing to, to strike aggressively and quickly. And certainly in the in the Bogarts negotiations, the Red Sox didn't appear to be anywhere close. Um, and it, it it does feel like they're in a bit of no man's land here. Uh, farm system is kind of middle of the pack by by most people's rankings, and um, I don't think people look at them as uh, you know immediate World Series contenders right now. So. Where do they go from here? It, it, it's, an, it's an interesting juncture for the Red Sox. The, the season will be one that, you know, you, you, you wonder um, how much rope leadership has there. And we'll see. Yeah, we will. As uh, In your opinion, is Heim Bloom's uh, job on the line this season? Um, I think it could be. I, and, and I'm saying that purely of speculation. Uh, you know, at a certain point, we've seen John Henry and that Red Sox ownership group be reactionary and flip-flop before uh, with their approach. And, you know, it, it's always possible that in a market like Boston, uh, patience runs out. And, uh, you know, I, I do think that in the long run, Bloom is, is probably uh, a sound and, and smart and capable uh, general manager. Uh, but how much time do you get to, to get build success? especially in an impatient market like Boston. That, that is for sure. Evan Drellick, I, I thank you for being with us today. Very insightful, great book, Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. Evan, thanks so much for being with us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. Kale and Company live right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. And from baseball... We are going to transition to uh, solar energy. I mean, we cover everything here on this program, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. Back right after these words. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, around the world, around the clock. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental, individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. Joining us now is David D'Onofrio, and David is the regional sales manager at All Energy Solar, allenergysolar.com. David, uh, good morning. Great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Good morning. It is uh, it is certainly our pleasure. And uh, solar energy, although you know a mystery to some people, has been around uh, here in New Hampshire for uh, over a half century. Uh, how how has it grown here in the uh, in the Granite State over the years? Yeah, it's grown tremendously, and it's grown tremendously. It's actually grown triple. Since 2016. Wow. So it's literally tripled. Um, it continues to rise. Forecasts are that it continues to grow year over year over year. So great things coming in New Hampshire on the solar front. Yeah. So so why? Why, why the, uh, the, uh, the rapid growth since 2016? I think awareness uh, is probably the biggest thing. Um, right now, you know, I've been with the company, uh, Ken, for about 10 years. And 10 years ago, nine years ago, even eight years ago, 
you had to at times convince people that that solar was real, that it was truly a viable option, that the rebates were were accurate uh, and correct, and and the returns were realistic. And I think today um, there's a much greater understanding uh, of the legitimacy of solar as a viable option. Um, there's also you know a big draw, a big uh, reason that people are interested is rate of electrical increases. They don't stop; they continue to rise year over year in New Hampshire specifically. They've grown tremendously, at least in the last 12 months, really, really significantly. And when people begin to feel that pain of an electric bill that's much larger than they want it to be, and knowing that it's going to continue to rise year over year, they begin to look for alternative sources, and and solar can certainly fill that void. And we mentioned you're the regional sales manager for All Energy Solar. Uh, is, Is it an easier, uh, quote unquote, sell job these days than it once was? It is. It is. Again, for, for several reasons. One, just simply the awareness that consumers have on the solar front. And then two, again, because our rate of electricity just continues to rise, um, folks are much more inclined to look at other options to avoid conventional electric bills. We in New England have some of the highest rates of electricity in the country, um, and that contributes, obviously, again, that pain that folks feel, but also a payback period that's uh, palatable to most folks when exploring solar. Now, the the growth has been tremendous, and as you pointed out, especially since uh, 2016, about seven years ago. Uh, but I'm sure, I am certain, David, that there are still some skeptics uh, out there as well. What, what are some of the uh, most frequently asked questions that you get? Sure. Well, it's less, there's certainly other skeptics in, in anything there will be, Um a lot of questions I get are, why isn't everyone doing this, right? So why is, why is solar not for everyone? Or why do I not see it on every home? And the answer is pretty easy to address. It's, it's not everyone is qualified for solar, quite frankly. In order for a home to warrant solar, to truly qualify, there's a couple variables. One, of course, is sun exposure, right? So you need the proper amount of sun to warrant the investment. Ideally, you're going to want to have a somewhat south-facing roof as well to be able to capture as much of that sun during the, you know, from sunrise to sunset, that's important. It, you know, if we, if we remove the specifics of the home and you look at why, why might not, not others have it as well, you begin to look at some other things, such as uh, folks who are considering moving soon. You might not want to make an investment of this magnitude if you think you're moving in 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, something of that nature. And then again, there's a very big benefit to going solar, and it's simply the fact that we are able to take advantage of a 30% federal tax credit. The caveat to that is one has to have a tax liability large enough to recover that tax benefit. So if you're not paying a significant or or even a decent amount of federal taxes, one would question whether or not the investment makes sense for them. So I guess another question uh, might be, Dave, uh, is it possible to generate enough electricity with solar to power your entire home or, or perhaps business? So that's a question. That's, you know, that's one of the questions I get all the time, or at least uh, a statement that's made to us, which is, I want to eliminate my electric bill. And is that possible? The answer is, is it plausible? Yes, it is. And there are certainly scenarios in which, whether it's a residential home or a commercial property, that we do, in fact, eliminate one's bill. The caveat to that is it's contingent on two things, how much electricity that residential or commercial owner is using 
versus how much available roof space or ground space I have to try and offset that bill. The greater the electrical demand of the home or the business, the greater the number of panels one needs to eliminate the bill. So there's a direct formula there. If one is a really heavy draw on, let's use a residential home, for example, if one's home is really heavy on the electrical draw, but very limited on the roof space, the availability or the ability to, to simply eliminate that bill might not be there. So it's, a, it's certainly a project by project case. Our guest is uh, David D'Onofrio, the uh, regional sales manager, All Energy Solar. You can uh, find them at allenergysolar.com. Uh, How has the efficiency of uh, solar improved uh, over the years? So, yeah, efficiency we look at uh, on two fronts. One is what is the output of the individual solar panel itself? You know, how many watts are, uh, are the panels? And then ultimately, what is the degradation of the solar panel, where's it going to be in 25 years? Yeah, and I'll and I'll give you more of about a 10 year snapshot. 10 years ago, we might have been looking at the most efficient panels on the market being around 250 to 260 watts per panel, and you were hoping that the warranty was going to be at the 25th year somewhere around 75 to 80 percent, meaning those solar panels will continue to still operate at 75 to 80 percent within the 25th year. Today. Rather than 250-watt panels, we're looking at more of 400, 410, some even higher than that. And you're looking at degradation rates that state that the solar panels will be around 92% at the 25th year. So it's not dramatic, Ken. You know, people like to use analogies of iPhones. It's not that the, the solar panels are rapidly changing from a technological perspective. They're not. But the individual outputs are certainly increasing at least minimally per year, which leads to a lot of people saying, well, am I better off waiting five years to see if the technology changes? The technology is not going to change. Yeah, the output's going to increase. But most folks, they want to eliminate the bill or offset a significant portion of their bill as quickly as possible because is it better to continue to pay raising rates of electricity, waiting for technology to change, or is it better to get in on the technology we have now and try to combat those raising rates? How, how durable uh, are the panels? How long should people expect the you know their their lifestyle? I mean, a li- yeah. life uh, <laughs> the their, the length of time that they're going to be around. Sure, the life expectancy. Yeah, so yeah. again, from a warranty perspective, everything says, at least the product that I offer, we're going to be over ninety percent at the twenty fifth year. Mm-hmm. So it's logically wow. you're not going to eliminate. You know, you're not going to take the panels off in the twenty sixth year if they're still operating at ninety percent. We believe somewhere in the 30-plus year range is going to be, you know, you're going to get viable years out of those things. Uh, that's still pretty good after 25 years, no no doubt about that. And uh, how do you know, how, and I imagine you can do a study of this, that your house or, you know, your dwelling, your business, whatever it might be, uh, have enough exposure to sunshine to, to make this uh, plausible, to make the solar power uh, plausible uh, f- for their uh, particular uh, you know, home, business, whatever it may be. Absolutely. So we have a team dedicated, solar experts, consultants, who are there to help you and figure out, does your home qualify for it? So we do no-cost assessment. If someone was interested, they would either go to our website or they would call the 800 number, express that they were interested in, in getting assessment. The team would then look at the property, ask for the electrical demand over the past 12 months, and see if solar truly is viable or not. Yeah. Uh, now, in order to receive uh, some of the uh, 
incentives uh, related to the use of solar energy? Uh, do you have to have it installed by a professional? You don't, no. So the incentives, and the big one being the 30%, it's called the ITC, the Federal Tax Credit. You, in theory, could do it yourself. So you would absolutely still qualify for the tax credit if you did it yourself. The bigger um, difficulty is, is simply, are you able to get through an electrical inspection? So are you an electrician? Are you a licensed electrician? Can you pass an electrical inspection if you did it yourself? If you're able to navigate through that, can you navigate through all the necessary paperwork, interconnection documents with the utility company? That's where we see a lot of folks to get jammed up. You might have, in theory, the ability uh, logistically to install a system, but can you navigate all the other tools? It's not, you know, it's a cumbersome process. We have teams dedicated to this for this reason. It's not necessarily uh, advised to kind of take it on yourself. You would not recommend a do-it-yourself job. <laughs> We, we would not. Yeah, it's a little, a little more complicated than that. I, yeah. I, I would definitely never attempt it. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah, great. Nor I would need, I. I need all the help I can get turning my microphone off and on. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Dave, David D'Onofrio is with us. He is the regional sales manager at All Energy Solar. You can uh, check it out right now at allenergysolar.com. Uh, David, stay with us. We have some more questions for you. Uh, great to have you with us here on Kale and & Company. And uh, we will be right back after these words. We're presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Kale & Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, powered by Northeast Delta Dental. And uh, more and more people are being powered by solar energy. And uh, Dave D'Onofrio is with us. He is the regional sales manager at All Energy Solar, allenergysolar.com. And we uh, talked in the first segment about how uh, the, the growth has been uh, amazing, uh, especially since 2016. Uh, we know that uh, solar power has been around uh, in New Hampshire and elsewhere for you know, more than half a century now, but uh, uh, the market is really starting to pick up. But, but, David, what are, what are some of the, uh, the misconceptions that people have uh, about uh, solar energy and solar power? Sure. Uh, one misconception, I'd say, is a lot of folks think that they are operating exclusively off their solar system when they go solar, meaning they're off-grid. And we like to say very quickly, to be perfectly clear, you are by no means off-grid. You are 100% still connected to your current utility provider. When one goes solar, what you're simply doing is allowing yourself the ability to take advantage of your solar production during the sunny days. So uh, right now, I'm, the sun's risen where I live. The sun is up. If I had solar on my home right now, my home would, any draw from the home would begin to pull from the solar panels itself. But it is a very likely chance that the solar system is going to produce more than my home is currently drawn. And what's going to happen in that scenario where the excess energy is going to go back out to the grid? And the grid is essentially going to act as a battery. So the utility company allows you to backfeed your excess energy out. They keep track of it. They essentially credit you at nearly a one-to-one rate. Now, this, this continues throughout the day. At nighttime or when the sun goes down, obviously your solar system is no longer producing, right? It needs the sun. The solar system is no longer producing. The homeowner or the commercial owner will begin to then draw from the grid as they are, you know, pre-solar. And this 
process happens on a daily basis where we know when the sun's out, yes, you're going to draw from your grid, but you're also going to get, you're, I'm sorry, you're going to draw from your solar system, but you're also going to get back to that grid. And there's going to be this swapping of energy throughout the day between the solar system as well as the grid. So you're not off grid. Um, for some folks, that's a disappointment. For us, we're grateful that we're connected to the grid. You don't need a basement full of batteries to continue to power your home. You just need the conventional utility company during those rainy days, nighttime, cloudy days, snowy days, etc. That's the biggest misconception, I would say. So there's no need to panic if the sun doesn't shine for a few days. That's exactly correct. As far as a homeowner is concerned, their power is going to be no different when they go solar than when it was before they had solar. Everything operates exactly the same. Again, we're going to leverage that solar system when the sun's out, but if it's not out for two weeks, no reason to panic. You're still tied into the grid, and you're going to pull your electricity as you were before. So I guess what what about the bottom line? How how costly is it to, to get things up and running if people yeah, so, decide to get into the, the uh, you know, solar energy game? Absolutely. Every project, again, is unique, Ken. Um, and what we're looking at is, A, what is the goal of the individual, right? You asked me earlier about eliminating one's electric bill. So let's make the assumption that's the answer. If the goal is to eliminate one's electric bill, again, what we're going to do as our team is we're going to look at the electrical consumption of that homeowner, and we're going to look at the available space that we have to work with. The higher, again, that, that, that demand is, the more panels in theory you need, the greater the cost is. I'd say the general range, and then and and there's it can go up and it can go down. But if you wanted a general ballpark amount, it typically starts around twenty thousand uh, dollars. Our average projects are around thirty-five to forty. Again, there are some that are certainly higher than that. There's some that are lower than that. Uh, but you're, you're going to be somewhere in that range. Thirty to forty is, is typical, I'd say. Yeah, and, and and how does it vary? I mean, how how would one project, uh, let's say, start uh, at twenty thousand dollars, another one would be, you know, between forty and fifty. Let's say, how 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 does it vary? It's going to vary on 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 ultimately the electrical demand of that home. So if one said, you know, I'm, I'm spending around a hundred dollars a month in electricity, then I know I need, you know, whatever it may be, roughly, you know, sixteen to twenty panels. If someone says I'm spending five hundred dollars a month. That's five times the amount of energy. That means I need that many more solar panels. And there's, a, again, a direct correlation to the higher the bill, the more solar panels you need. The more solar panels you need, the higher the cost of the project. And, and how, how do people uh, come to the realization that uh, solar is, is right for them? You know, everyone has their own motivation and, and rationale for making the decision. Um, you know, we, I've spoken a lot about the financials and why it would make sense and trying to eliminate the bill and, and avoid, you know, uh, rising rates of electricity. And for some, that, that is the motivator, right? It's simply a financial payback. They know today they're paying the utility company X number of dollars. If they go solar, they make this investment. They can, you know, in theory, eliminate their electric bill, and they see a payback of X number of years. For some, that is the motivation. It's purely financial. And that, I would say, was much greater so the mentality 10 years ago, 9 years, 8 years ago. Today, we're finding much more so people know and believe that environmentally going solar is the right thing to do. So now they have a vested interest environmentally for future generations. That combined with the financials, that'll typically work. The combination of the two is typically where folks will net out as the reason for going solar.
The company is uh, All Energy Solar, and uh, you can get a lot more information at uh, www.allenergysolar.com. Their number is 1-800-620-3370. So, Dave, just take us through the steps, because, you know, after this interview today, your your switchboard is going to be flooded. So... uh, and uh, take us through the steps. If people call you or, or one of uh, the other people at, uh, at your company, and uh, just take us through the steps. What, what, would, uh, what would be first? Absolutely. So first step, if someone was interested in a solar consultation with our team, you're simply going to go to our website, like I said, www.allenergysolar.com, or you're going to use the 800 number. We have a dedicated team who's going to pick up the phone, they're going to answer any preliminary questions you may have. And they're going to say, do you want to move forward with a virtual consultation with someone on the team? Again, no financial commitment whatsoever, no high-pressure sales scenario. You're simply going to be connected with a solar consultant who is an expert in this area. Uh, you're going to be scheduled for an, an hour-and-a-half phone call where we're going to request your electric bill. We're going to take a look at your home together. We're going to walk you through a formal proposal why people do this. Uh, we're going to talk in general terms, and then we're going to go, if you're still interested, we're going to go into the specifics of your home, of what we believe would be a viable option for you, what the costs are, what the benefits are, what the return would look like, financing options, soup to nuts, we go through the whole thing, and that'll be done during that hour to hour and a half consultation with someone on the team. Well, folks, uh, as you know, those energy costs are rising and rising every month. I mean, that is true. That is documented. Solar is is certainly uh, our future. And uh, the website is is very good, David, and uh, very informative. Uh, You can uh, actually download a free ebook, a guidebook to switching to solar, and uh, learn uh, a lot about uh, solar as we have this morning with. uh, uh, David, and uh, again, he said that uh, they have a, a team of great uh, professionals standing by and uh, willing to help you out any way they possibly can. And uh, you know, what about financing? Is there is is this uh, something that, that can be financed over a period of time? Absolutely. And there are many lenders offering solar financing. We have some in-house. We have some local within the state. So, yeah, th- there's absolutely great financing options available to make this uh, much more palatable. All right, uh, David, anything you'd like to add that we haven't uh, covered thus far this morning? No, I would just say, please don't be scared. Uh, If you're interested at all, again, we'd love the opportunity to talk to you, show you what your options are when it comes to solar. We'll be the first to tell you if it doesn't work. We'll also be the first to tell you if it does. So no pressure whatsoever, but we'd love the opportunity to talk to you and see if solar is a viable option for you. Uh, and a lot of people are, are making the move uh, exponentially since uh, 2016. You say it's tripled since 2016, correct? That's correct. Tripled wow. in New Hampshire since 2016. There's still a lot of opportunity for growth. We're currently yeah. ranked 43rd in the country for solar, uh, despite having tripled since 2016, but we'll continue to grow. We, we Inevitably, we know the business is growing. All projecting state, it's up on the rise, and um yeah, we continue to see great things for New Hampshire. Well, David, it's been very informative. We uh, appreciate you being on with us uh, today, and um, thanks so much. We'll, we'll check back with you in the not-too-distant future. 
I appreciate your time, Ken. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. All right. That's uh, David D'Onofrio, the regional sales manager, All Energy Solar. It's uh, a great website if you want to learn more. AllEnergySolar.com is the website, or you can uh, call them at 1-800-620-3370. Folks, I don't think there's uh, any question that this is the wave of the future. And it's, it's not just the future. It's now. It is now. They have tripled uh, their business here in New Hampshire since 2016. All Energy Solar. All Energy Solar. Dot com. Thanks for David. Uh, thanks to David for being with us today. Thanks to uh, Evan Drellick for being with us today, talking about his new book, "Winning Fixes Everything About the Scandalous, Those Dastardly Houston Astros," and this scheme devised by Red Sox manager Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran. It's a great book. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget tomorrow, Kitty Ray, Tom Raffio. The Friday Fun Bunch here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Have a great Thursday, everybody.